This morning's reading is from Hebrews 12, verse 25, to 13, verse 6. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body." Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Thank you very much, Pat, and to Jay and our musicians, and to Rob for praying. Let me pray as we turn to Hebrews. Lord Jesus, thank you for this marvelous letter. Thank you for the encouragement it is to keep walking in the Christian life. And thank you for the power and inspiration and help and comfort and strength and care of your word. Uh, day by day. Help us to listen. Help us to really listen. And if we have no capacity because of weariness or battles or struggles, we pray that by your Holy Spirit you might help us to listen. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, I have many choices for uh, topical illustrations at the start of a talk uh, in this, what I would describe as a disrupted weekend in Edinburgh. So all of us, whether or not we were in Murrayfield or not, heard two concerts. Uh, And uh, there's also uh, a marathon, and who knows what else is going on. Now, apparently in a marathon, about 60% of runners in these mega marathons walk uh, some of the way because um, it's a long way and uh, it's a long time. And apparently, the, 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 the less elite you are as an athlete, the longer it takes to do a marathon. So obviously, that's the case, and so they walk. So there are some people from Chalmers doing the marathon, and uh, just about now, they will be uh, turning round to the long home stretch, which is out at Aberlady near Gosforth House, and they will face a westerly wind and 12 miles back to Edinburgh. So I imagine that some of them will be walking. 
Now, in the Christian life, there are some passages of the Bible that talk about soaring on eagles' wings. Hebrews talks about running the Christian race. But oftentimes, we find that we are walking, and, or barely walking, uh, uh, sometimes struggling to stand. And uh, so Hebrews has encouraged us with these marvelous words in chapter 12, lift up your weary arms, strengthen your weak knees, and walk walk on. Um, there's a, a famous uh, song, You'll Never Walk Alone, which uh, is synonymous with Liverpool Football Club. And uh, yesterday I was uh, looking at some of the YouTube recordings of that song being sung, and it is extraordinarily moving uh, when uh, 50, 60, 70,000 people uh, sing that song. And it is, um, it's a good picture to have in our minds, although you want to take the 50,000 and just make it this group of people here. And one of the great principles of Hebrews is that you will never walk alone. It's a great thing in the Christian life. You will never walk alone. And that cuts across every dynamic and any dynamic of how we live our lives, whether we're single or married or whatever background or context or difficulties we have in life. When God gathers us together, in a local church, we will never walk um, alone. One of the uh, exercises I'd encourage you to do is to go home and to type into Bible Gateway or another Bible search engine, uh, let us, let us, and see how many let us hits you get in Hebrews. Um, there are 20 odd of them. And it uh, be helpful perhaps to write that down and to follow up and to use that as a kind of daily uh, reflection um, so, for example, when you read something like uh, Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What a great, great uh, uh, prayer to make. How can, how can I be used by you, God, to stir up someone in this church family to love and to good works? Now, God has brought us together to belong to this local church, this household of God, this church family. Some of you here are visitors you're super welcome. Some of you are new to the church family. Others come from other church families. Some of you will belong to this church family in person in the future. Uh, God has brought us together to belong to a local church because we need one another. Now, I need you much more than you think I do. You think I don't because I'm me. I think you don't because you're you. You think the person next to you doesn't need you. They do. And you need them. Every one of us. Now the context in which we have studied Hebrews, together on Sundays and in our small groups, reflect the corporate nature of the letter. One of uh, the, the heartbeats we have in Chalmers is to equip as many people as are gifted to teach the Bible and to encourage uh, shepherding not to be the preserve of one uh, shepherd or two or three shepherds, but many shepherds shepherding God's people with one chief shepherd, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the truth is that that doesn't just happen through preachers or small group leaders or growth group leaders. The truth is that it primarily happens on the ground when we all speak the truth of God's word 
uh, together. One of the reasons that we study one Bible book a year, which we've done for the past few years in the mornings, this year it's Hebrews, is that together we will all learn that book inside out. And it's so encouraging to hear people drawing on Hebrews uh, again and again. Let me say something to you that you may not be aware of because you don't know everybody in the church. But they are part of the church where you belong and they belong. For some people, and they're listening online because they can't be here, they'd love to be, Hebrews has been uh, a matter of life and death for them. A lifeline. A lifeline. All they could muster day by day is a tiny bit of energy and strength to keep going. And yet week by week, Hebrews has encouraged them to walk on because they do not walk alone. They have Jesus and they have the people of Jesus with them. Many, many people have drawn on Hebrews for strength and encouragement and all of us will in the future Sometimes I think when we're in a church family and we hear uh, an application like, there are some people here uh, for whom Hebrews is a matter of life and death and the confidence and the encouragement and the truth therein is, we sort of slightly switch off and we say, well, that's not me. It might be in the future, but it is you because it's them. It is you because it's them. And we share and bear and support one another. If ever you think when you wake up in the morning and you pray or when you pray at some point during the day, are there people in my church family who are in desperate need? There always are. There always are. There always are. Now, what is the message of Hebrews? I found this great description last week, which after a year looking for one, but no, that's not true. It's great. The message of Hebrews is to inspire endurance and faithfulness in the face of challenging times in our lives as Christians. So the message of Hebrews is to inspire endurance and faithfulness in the face of challenging and testing times in our life as Christians. How does it do that? Does it do it by saying, come on, get up, walk? It does say that, but it does it on the basis of we can because of Christ. See, Hebrews motivates us, all the exhortations that we come to in chapter 12 and 13 of Hebrews, all these uh, exhortations to do this, don't do this, to do this, and is, is all based on Jesus Christ who lives in us, his cross, the glory that is to come, and faith which is our gift, and the obedience of faith which is to live the Christian uh, life. Now, um, you'll see I've included a heading on the sheet, The Persuasive Power of Hebrews 12, and 13. And uh, the last section of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 12 and 13, like the last sections of many New Testament letters, contains lots of practical applications and exhortations concerning how we are to keep going and keep one another going in the Christian life. So the exhortation today to show hospitality or to love one another is not like to show hospitality or love one another, which might be a good kind of ethical thing to do. It's so that we keep going. So we keep going. And so they keep going in the Christian life. It's all with a purpose that we might keep going. And uh, the big danger when you come to these practical exhortational parts of the Bible 
is this, that we hear these applications and exhortations as things that we are to do in our own strength. Uh, Things that we are to do in our own strength or things that we are to do in order to get right or keep right with God. That is to misread and to mishear God's word. And it is to misunderstand the gospel. So what's the gospel? Here's, Here's the default. And I think this default is, is often the case for Christians. And often the case for Christians when things are hard. Or when you've drifted a bit away from God. The gospel is not, which can often be our default, we obey in order to be accepted. That is not the gospel. That is religious, moralistic, piety, legalism. It's like climbing a ladder And you come out at the top of the clouds and you see the ladder goes on and the ladder goes on and the ladder goes on and you never ever reach the top of the ladder and you never ever find assurance. It's a never ever ending despairing journey. That is not the gospel. The gospel is, let me come at it in a few ways, we are accepted through Jesus and therefore we obey. We are kept so we keep going. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit so we walk in the Spirit. God is at work in us, so we work at our salvation. That's the gospel. It's totally different. It's wonderfully different. It's a massive difference. It's not a subtle difference nor a nuance. It is a seismic difference. Now, um, have we all really grasped this? Preaching, I'm told, is at its best silent dialogue between God and and every one of us. So I want you to answer that question in your heart. Have you fully and truly understood the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Have you uh, put aside any notion of the gospel as I obey in order to be accepted? I have to do these things in order for God to be pleased with me. That is not the gospel. That's religion. Have we grasped the gospel? I obey as an expression of my faith, the obedience of faith. I walk in the Christian way because the Holy Spirit is in me. I walk in the Spirit. I I do what I do because Christ is in me. All that I do is out of love and thankfulness and affections raised in my heart for the Lord Jesus. And it might be that somebody here has grasped the gospel for the first time. You might be a Christian and all of a sudden your life will take on. It will not be any easier, but there will be liberty and assurance and the freedom from guilt. And if you're not a Christian and you've always thought that the Christian life is about obeying rules, well, it's not. It's about coming to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and he lives in you, and you walk in his spirit, and you do what the Bible asks out of love and out of the obedience of faith. Now, the persuasive power of Hebrews 12 to 13, these exhortations, is, is grounded in who we are and what God is doing uh, in our lives. And uh, that is expressed in the context of the whole letter, um, but also in these particular Uh, verses. So let's look at the detail in the text with that uh, extensive waggle on the T. But it is important. Number one, 
Uh, You've come to Zion, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is who you are. It's amazing. Um, Just go back with me and read verses 22 to 24. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Because we're all Scottish or British, or you're not Scottish or British, but you live in this part of the world now. We're all sitting there going. Yeah. So put your pencils down and listen to this. You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels and festal gathering and to the assembly, that is the universal church of the firstborn, that's you who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Jesus, that is who you are. If you are a Christian, you are a citizen of the eternal kingdom of God. Now, your citizenship, your home is not on earth, it is in heaven. You are part of the assembly or the universal church of all of God's people who live by faith in the mediator, Jesus Christ, and his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Your relationship, broken with God, is fixed. He is your high priest, Jesus. You come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, the almighty God, the God of holiness and fire and uh, Uh, unapproachability is my dad my father and Jesus blood speaks what does it say to you I love you I have forgiven you I have redeemed you and you say that's not true so let's go back to the default Okay, I know that if I mess up, you will forgive me. No, I have forgiven you for future sin. I have redeemed you. Sure, yep, but I've still got to climb the ladder. No, you do not have to climb the ladder for redemption. You climb it because of your affections for Jesus, because you are redeemed. Oh, but... Surely there are passages in the Bible that say faith without works is dead. Absolutely, but faith is a gift from God. You are walking. You are alive to God. Oh, but I'm not walking for Jesus at the moment. I'm struggling. I'm out of sorts with him. It's a marathon. Think of these runners today. Most of them will finish, but there'll be a pile of them walking now. Some of them will be hitting the wall. It's a marathon. I will protect you, I will keep you, and today's text um, will come to, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, as Christians, we have already come to Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the assembly, to the church in heaven. You don't feel like it. But that's where we are, and that's why we've got to meditate and ponder on these texts so that we live by faith and marvel at uh, our safety in Christ. 
But there's a now and a not yet. And the not yet is the return of Jesus as judge of all when he will take a hold with his, uh, think of a text like Isaiah chapter 40, God holds the, 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 the oceans, uh, the, the waters are like in a bucket to him or the, the nations in the palms of his hands. These uh, almighty uh, hands of God will shake the heavens and the earth and this world and everything that is sinful and all that is suffering will be broken and destroyed and all that will be left is the people of God in the eternal kingdom of God. Imagine that. That's what's going to happen. It's extraordinary. Let me ask you a direct question. Will you be there? I always remember uh, back in, 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 in about the last century when I was a young minister, there was a man called John Harker who came into the church. He was wheelchair-bound. Um, he would say, he's not alive now, he's in glory. He would say it was all spiritual, his physical condition. And he came in to defy God, literally, with his fist. He would sit there and shake. And we were preaching on Revelation chapter 6, which is the, the coming of the, the wrath, the day of wrath, the shaking of the earth. And the question at the end of Revelation chapter 6, who can stand the wrath of God? And he was converted. Just then. And quite soon afterwards, he got up out of his wheelchair and walked. Now, make of that what you will. Sometimes God does these things. And just as perhaps we were all getting, thinking, what's God doing? Is this normative? He was diagnosed with a brain tumor and died. Extraordinary situation. Are you standing on solid ground so that when Jesus returns and shakes this earth, you will stand fast? And don't panic when you hear that question saying, well, what do I have to do? Do I have to climb the ladder? Do I have to be hospitable? Do I have to love one another? And you don't have to do any of that. You just come to Jesus Christ and listen to his blood speak to you. I love you. I have forgiven you. Will you trust me? All he requires of us is faith. And then he puts his spirit into us and we walk in faith. It's all he asks of us. So when Colin, sitting here, became a Christian, he asked the man that spoke the gospel to him, I want what you have, not I want to do what you do. It's totally different. I want what you have, which is the Holy Spirit living in you. Do you have that? Maybe there's somebody here or listening, and you need to have the courage to ask that question, I want what you have. And don't let the sun go down on today until you've found what you're looking for in Jesus. Now, with all that stuff, and we're 20 minutes, 38 seconds in, we haven't got to the practical stuff yet, 
But that's about right. In fact, we didn't get to it till later in service one. And uh, my uh, son, who was here with his uh, uh, girlfriend and her parents from overseas, said he's always shorter in the second service. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. So um, why have we spent all that time speaking about what we have, what we have? Why are we saying so much about being kept, kept, kept? Because we must hear that. When you hear all that stuff, what will be happening now before we get to the applications is, is, is God willing, there will be in your heart a, 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 a growing stirring of affections. Affections is the right word. Emotions, affections for Jesus Christ, for God, that you want to respond. And uh, it, for those who really need Hebrews as a lifeline because they're really struggling, they may not be feeling that, but you are. And if you are, pray that they will be right now because we're an us. We're an us. If you're not feeling that and you're a Christian because you're struggling, somebody in this room is praying for you now. And all the time, God, our high priest, Jesus Christ, is praying for you. How do we respond to all of this? How do we respond when we come to the exhortations? Well, Hebrews takes us there, verses 28 to 35a. Thankfulness for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and worship through love that pleases him. And you see, if you don't have all of the promises, all the, the cross stuff, all the future glory stuff, all the indwelling spirit stuff, all that what God has done, the obedience of faith, when you, when you hear a word like Hebrews 12, 28, therefore let us be grateful, you, you're not going to be grateful. Who, who wants to be, who's going to be grateful when, if you're told that there's a massive ladder to climb? And God willing, by his spirit, if we are in Christ, we will be thankful now for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken uh, and worship God through love that pleases him. I was with somebody this week and they said, um, I'm feeling guilty because I'm not thankful enough. And I was going, ah! That's how I often feel. Let the Holy Spirit... Push the devil, not arrows of discouragement out. The devil will say, you're not feeling thankful enough. Therefore, you're not thankful. See, in many ways, Hebrews is about helping us just to hold on, to keep walking. Others around us, praying for us, for that thanksgiving. Therefore, thankful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, worship God through love that pleases him. Let's read uh, verse 28 of 12. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What does worship look like in the life of a local church? It looks like this list. So here's the list. Loving one another. This is 3 verse 1. Showing hospitality to strangers. Standing with those facing hostility because of their faith, feeling their pain, providing for their needs, praying for and protecting marriages in the church, sexual purity within marriage, I think that's the primary context here, contentment, and love for God before anything else. It's a random list. If you've got a Bible that says, 
closing thoughts or closing exhortations, just scrub that out. It's got to be inspired, that list. Why is that list that list? The letter is written to Christians under pressure, struggling to keep going, tempted even to turn away from God. How does the devil tempt us to do that? By not doing what's on this list. I think it's absolutely right. Let me just sort of explain that from pastoral experience. When we're really struggling, and the pastoral experience of the pastor is primarily themselves, as well as anyone else. Just let me repeat what I said at the beginning. I really need you. As does Roger and Jay and the elders and whoever else we are. We all need each other. How does the devil tempt us when we're really struggling to turn away from God's people? Not to love them. Not to show hospitality. Not to stand with those facing hostility. How does the devil tempt us when we're really struggling to no longer be part of an us, but to be part of a me? How does the devil tempt us when we're really struggling to go alone, to go it alone, to bunker down? It's exactly right. So what does the obedience of faith look like? Loving one another, showing hospitality, standing with those who are struggling. And if the devil's tactic when we are struggling is to help us to turn in on ourselves and turn away from God's people to go it alone. Another of his tactics is to turn to the fleeting pleasures of life, whether sexual immorality or the love of money. That's exactly how he does it. He pushes us out of the community of faith where we belong. He makes us self-focused, not selfless. And he tempts us with the lure of the world. What keeps us going? The obedience of faith. Loving one another. Setting an extra place at our dinner table. Standing with, texting those, messaging those who are struggling for their faith. Praying for the marriages in the church. That's what it's saying. That's going on all over the church all the time. So practical, so real. So true. I've just got squillions of people going through my head. (laughs) Desperate to breach every confidence I can. We can't do that. Let's say about each one, a bit of each one. Loving one another. What, 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 it's not a good translation, let brotherly love continue. It's, it's 
familial love, is family type love. One of the things we were chatting about in our staff meeting, I think this week or last week, is how, how do we treat each other in our church family? And the answer is that we need to treat each other in the church family as we treat people in our own families, uh, with all the, the, the wisdom of, of, of what that means. But we've got to, we've got to be real and, and, and love one another, to be with one another, interested in them, honest, accountable, encouraging, compassionate. And people we know are in need meet their need. So... Uh, I've taken to arriving in your homes unannounced. And it's amazing how messy they are. Whereas if I was telling you I'd be coming, they were all tidy. I used to come home in despair and think, why have we got the only messy house? And it's amazing how many of you have your dinner on your knees watching the telly. That's terrible. We need to wade into each other's lives in a loving and an appropriate and a sensitive and a sensible way. Putting our feet in it. Let me exhort you as I exhort myself to let brotherly love continue. Let me remind you of your motivations, affections for Jesus Christ. Let brotherly love, let love for those that God has called you to be part of in this church family continue because of the cross, because of the glory of God and as an obedient outworking of the faith that is supernatural and alive that God has put into you by his um, Holy uh, Spirit. And if you don't have capacity within you to muster that love for others because you're so beleaguered, Okay, but please let them love you, which is probably harder. Showing hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have attained angels unaware. So if you've invited guests for lunch, they might be angels. That's misunderstood, I think, that text. What it's saying is, look, when people come into your lives whom you don't know, Christians or not Christians, show them hospitality. The thing about angels is a reference back to Abraham when he entertained these three strangers back in Genesis. And it turned out that they were the people that God had sent to tell him that his wife would bear a child in her old age and it would become the, the, the family of, of, of God. Now, Again, there are loads of stories flashing through my mind of, of the church family through the years where people have put, brought somebody around their table or into their home and opened their lives to them. And looking back 10 years on, there are numerous providences that came from that. And there are numerous more that these people never see because these people have gone. Uh, Edinburgh, um, Morningside is full of its coffee shops. It's striking that the coffee shops run by families not from this side of the world illustrate to us what hospitality looks like. (laughs) So the Syrian family that own uh, La Telve, 
I took somebody in there last year for lunch and they asked for vegan pancakes, which I thought would be a normal question in Morningside, but they said, we can't do that. We're terribly sorry. Leave it with me. So off the owner goes to Waitrose, buys some coconut milk, cooks vegan pancakes and gives it to them on the house. We are Christians and we have the Holy Spirit. Show hospitality. Chalmers is growing with people from all over the world. Invite them to your homes or have a coffee with them. Be wise, be sensible. Be wise, be sensible. But not too wise. We had a fire inspection on Friday, and I always try and chat to these people. Do pray that when I speak to them, I'll land the plane and say, do you have a faith? Do you, do you, know, what do you think about Jesus? I get close, but rarely get to land the plane. Anyway, I was hugely encouraged that the fire inspector had been a fireman for 30 years, and he said, look, you can't eliminate risk. You've got to be wise. Use this building wisely. Use our homes wisely and lovingly. Standing with those facing hostility because of their faith, feeling their pain, providing for their needs. We don't know many of us people who are in prison for their faith, but we know many people serving from this church overseas in contexts where they know many people who are in prison serving the Lord Jesus. Engage with them, talk with them. Speak to them, email them, FaceTime them, whatever it is, encourage them. And then, strangely perhaps, praying for marriages in the church. And praying for sexual purity within marriages in the church. Now, I I was courageous, or somebody said I was courageous in, in service one by saying that married men still struggle with sexual immorality, lust, whatever. And a number of women said to me, why did you exclude us? Why did you exclude us? If you don't include us, then we will think that we must be terrible. It's time up. Thank you, God. Just saying, carry on a bit. Please don't assume that the marriages in the church are safe and secure and perfect. One of the things we've been looking at in Hebrews in Genesis is the, the because we're a church family, is the rich integration of single people and married people and embracing one another in that loving way and and living with lives that are transparent and open and accountable. All over the church in the UK at the moment, week in, week out, there's some moral failure everywhere. Why is that? Think of Hebrews. Because churches and Christians are under pressure. 
That's why we need to be honest and real and loving and caring for one another. Now the Bible, the Bible really does raise the stakes. It talks about protecting marriages and fidelity in marriages and about sexual immorality being judged by God. And the Bible says that fully knowing that in every local church there will be people and there are people here and the other service and online who have been the victims of adultery, sexual immorality and have perpetrated these things themselves. Now, that's why, you see, you've got to, you've got to read this in the context of the blood of Jesus speaking. I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you. And it might be that if you are one of these people, you have not forgiven yourself. That's a kind of Christian jargon. That's a meaningless thing to say. It doesn't matter whether or not we've forgiven ourselves. What matters is that God forgives us. He has forgiven you. So if you go home today and you are, you've got stuff in your past and your life and you think, gosh, that was a rebuke to me, then I've got this totally wrong. It's a rebuke to you if you have not confessed a sin if it's you to God. Repentance is a wonderful thing. And then keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. One of the great blessings of a building project that costs four million pounds is we don't have any money left. (laughs) Well, that's not entirely true, but it has helped. It's a wonderful thing in the Christian life to be liberated from the love of anything other than the love of Jesus. Because what happens is that you start to enjoy all these other things. Now, Remember, the purpose of all of this is to help us to walk on, to walk another day. How do you do it? Well, you love one another, you let them love you, you um, uh, encourage one another, you let them encourage uh, you, you pray for and protect marriages in the church and confess issues that you are struggling with if that is you. And so on and so forth. And then Hebrews leaves us in the right frame by making a promise I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if you've got um, a little one of these silly pictures on your wall with a Bible text and a picture of a beautiful field, whatever, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that makes it onto pictures, it makes it onto tea towels. But look where it is in Hebrews. I will never leave you or forsake you in the context of loving one another. In the context of having somebody around your dinner table. In the context of, of protecting marriages. It's not in the context of I have saved you forever. It's in the obedience of faith. It's in the grist to the mill, the day-to-day stuff of life. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you in the day-to-day graft of Christian life. 
and if we've heard God's word properly this morning, then we can confidently say, verse 6, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Or the prince of this world, you almost like say to the devil, you're just not going to stop me walking. Walk on. For you never ever will walk alone. Let's pray. Lord, help us to walk on as a church, encouraging and strengthening each other. And perhaps more importantly, being encouraged and strengthened by one another. We need each other. We are not climbing a ladder. We are working out the obedience of faith. And Lord, when we sing these words, when I survey the wondrous cross, help us sing them and hear them sharply. Hearing his words, I love you, I have forgiven you, I have redeemed you, I have put my spirit in you. I will protect you, I will keep you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And as we hear these words of clarity raise up in our hearts, bubble up in our lives, affections for the Lord Jesus Christ, for the life that is the obedience of faith, and for the people of God that you have caused us, called us to do life with and walk beside. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can tell my son I was nine seconds shorter. Makes all the difference. Don't tell him. Because if you tell him, then he will know that I told you about what he said. So please don't tell him. It's online as well. Don't tell him. Let's sing.